here are the negative effects of remote work. Working too many hours, decreased productivity, increased consumption of literally everything. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. All right, let's get right into it. Yeah, so we're here talking about, uh, I hope this email finds you never, which is a book that is coming out tomorrow with HarperCollins. I'm the author of the book and Tyler Lassard, who is the head of marketing for a company called Vidyard and a media company called SalesSpeed, is the interviewee. He was kind enough to uh, agree to do this. I didn't even have to blackmail him into this, just used guilt, and it was extremely effective. So Tyler, thank you very much for for agreeing to do this. Completely uncompensated, by the way. Really appreciate it. Well, again, it's just like how we treat our employees. We don't compensate them and we guilt them into doing things for us. So this is, it's very meta. It's uh... <laughs> if, you, if you're not using uh, manipulation or other psychological tactics, how can you expect employees to get anything done? Well, you know what, folks, this is, <laughs> um, for those just joining us here, I was mentioning earlier that I had the chance to to read through Ken's new book. I hope this email finds you never. And it is a uh, very funny, a very entertaining conversation uh, about the modern workplace. But as much as it is pure satire, there are so many great little nuggets of lessons to be learned. So I'm excited to to dial into that. And uh, have some fun with you here today, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kupchik. Is that how you pronounce your last name, by the way? Yes, that's right. Let's give it one second here and make sure that everybody is uh, sort of a level playing field here with the conversation we are about to have. Again, if, uh, knowing that most of you out there have not yet had a chance to read the book or, or maybe uh, not even get familiar with Ken, um, I just do want to emphasize Ken is um, such a wonderful member of the business community. He's the publisher of the Sales Humor Channels on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. He's the co-founder of The Quota, one of the best newsletters and media sites for salespeople out there. Um, and your uh, first book, Ken, The Sales Survival Handbook, I feel like was probably a little bit of inspiration as you as you came into, I hope this email finds you never, a complete glide to blissfully surviving the modern workplace. Uh, I know that you've always had a little bit of fun and satire and humor in what you do, in what you write. Before we bring folks on, can I just ask you to, to, to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself and like where you were coming from uh, as an author of your first book and now this new one? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so in 2014, I had a background in, in sales, uh, but I also had a background in marketing and kind of the content world. And in 2014, I launched uh, Sales Humor uh, as a Facebook page you know, just a funny uh, account for social media account for salespeople and sales leaders. It kind of quickly started growing, launched a LinkedIn page and an Instagram page after that. And in 2017, I wrote uh, my first book called The Sales Survival Handbook. It's also a humor book like this one, except it's sales focused, whereas this book is just focuses on office culture more broadly. But I will say the one thing that the mistake I think I made with the first book I'm answering questions you didn't ask, by the way, Tyler. I tend to do that. <laughs> the, the mistake I made with the first book is 
I really tried to, you know, I had never published anything before. And I think I really tried to make it so that it was, had some actual lessons in it. And it was kind of half serious, Mm -hmm. half funny. And, you know, in retrospect, that wasn't exactly what I, you know, completely wanted to do. So this time around, I wrote a book that is pure, in my opinion, pure humor. Uh, There are no lessons whatsoever to be learned from my book at all. You can learn nothing from this book, but it is unequivocally, you know, was written in order to make people laugh. That was the entire goal. This time around, I kind of did it more the way that I wanted the first time around. Well, the funny thing, as you as you say that, Ken, and, and I was very serious when I kicked this off, and I think in you just focusing on your passion of having fun, you know, telling ridiculous stories that are all too relatable. Basically, this is like a meme come to life as a book. Um, but in doing that, you know, as I went, as I read through this, I, I mean, obviously, I laughed out loud many, many times. But But in all seriousness, there's all these interesting nuances that as you read through these topics, you realize that like whether it's you as an employee, whether it's you as a coworker to others, or even for me as an employer, right? Like I manage people, I'm an executive at a business. There are so many things that are just that pop down at like, oh my goodness, can nail this. Why do we still do it that way? And there were like countless times where I'm like, why do we still do it that way? Like I'm laughing at myself and I'm the manager here. We need to like think about this a little bit differently. Otherwise, Ken's going to have to keep writing sequels to this, which is good for you, Ken. But, but, <laughs> and you're like, you know what? It just brings so many of these things like to life where um, I think there are a lot of things that people will take away from it, whether they like it or not. It's an exceptional read. To give people a bit of a, uh, an outline on, on what to expect, and I hope this email finds you never, you know, it does walk through, I think, in a very clever way, kind of this life cycle as an employee in the modern uh, workplace and, and culture. It starts with, you know, you've landed that new job, orientation, right through into workplace etiquette, meeting your coworkers for the first time, right? Perhaps the most awkward thing that you can imagine doing and the biggest risk of screwing up. And, you know, right through into, well, submitting your letter of resignation or what you can take with you on your last day of the job legally. And uh, so again, it's this really fun exploration of, of life in the modern workplace, but bringing so many of those tropes to life in, in, in all too relatable ways. Ken, I know you're in, in your first book, it's probably a bit of a start to this, but what was your inspiration for bringing this book to life? Was it conversations you've had with people? Is it your own experiences in the, in the workplace or how did this come to be? Yeah. So one thing that I've always strived to do is probably because there's something wrong with me, is I've always wanted to do original things. So, you know, when I started the social media accounts, when I started, uh, when I wrote the first book, the goal was really to, to do something unique and do something that hasn't been done. And generally, I mean, you know, no offense to um, the many great publishers and business books out there, but a lot of them are really, you know, they really kind of regurgitate the same things over and over again. You know, there are, especially in the sales space, Tyler, I mean, you're well aware of this. There are trainers who, they're very lovely people, but they churn out one book a year, maybe more than more than one book a year. And it's like, mm-hmm. how much can you really say? Like, what are you saying that's new? So I think for me, it was really important to, the first time around and this time around, to do a book that was unique. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm friends with a few of the other uh, 
writers uh, in in the business community um, and in the business humor community. You know, for instance, Sarah Cooper, she wrote that really funny book, uh, 50 uh, Tips to Appear Smart in Meetings. Uh, then she got <laughs> famous on TikTok, um, obviously imitating uh, the former president. And, you know, Tom Fishburne, the marketunist, he's really funny. You know, I, I know these guys, I know their books, and none of them were really kind of like a comprehensive workplace handbook or in a humor format. And right. that's really what I tried to do. I said, hey, like what, what are all the things that we, the most important things that we deal with in the workplace? Uh, I kind of uh, organized the book in that format and just kind of went through and, and checked them all off. And to your yeah. earlier point, you said, okay, well, there might be a sequel to this. There is no way that I can possibly write a sequel because <laughs> I'll tell you why, because by the time I was done writing this, you know, you have a, you have a word count, contractually obligated word count, you know, if you want, if you, if you want to get paid uh, for the book, by the time I came to the end of this book, I was completely tapped out of like, there, <laughs> I've covered everything. Like it was just impossible to, to come up with anything else. So so yeah, hope that answers the question. Well, don't worry. I suspect there's going to be, uh, yes, many more, many more situations that come up in the years ahead. You know, we're all still figuring out this like remote versus in office versus hybrid, all of that. So that's going to be an interesting part of the conversation. Actually, it's covered in the book. We're going to talk about it a little bit later in the conversation as well. But, you know, I think that uh, there, there's a lot of change still to be happening out there. And uh, it's, you know, and, and companies have a lot of work to do. It's funny, in the, the world of sales that you and I live in, one of the things that I'm a big advocate of is salespeople need to deliver an experience that their buyers actually want, right? Like in, in business, we always, we tend to do things because, well, that's the way we want to do it, right? And it struck me that in this book, it's sort of very similar thing came to light for me was like, there's so many things you talk about in here that are things that happen or the way that we do things in business because... There's just the way we've always done it mm -hmm. or like as a business, it's the way we want to do it, right? Like, well, onboarding, it has to happen like this and orientation, you know, this is how it happens, right? As opposed to like stepping back and going, what do our people really want? Like what kind of experience today do they really expect? And is like the same old, you know, boring, you know, hour long training course on this or something with a big quiz at the end, is that actually what is more effective for them? Or maybe I should make a short video that actually has a bit, a little bit of humor in it and something to keep them <laughs> engaged. It, it, it's something that like, I think, again, is like so important to how we think about workplace culture. And I think not enough companies are in that mindset yet of like, how do we design an experience for our people based on what they actually want as opposed to how we want to do things? Yeah, well, the modern workplace is not about what you want. It's about not even what the shareholders want. It's about this like this giant mix of all these personalities who generally have conflicting <laughs> interests. You know, we're all selfish in our own ways. But these days, what the other thing that's thrown in the mix is you have the ability to like, you know, build this personal brand on social media that mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, let's be honest, is completely misleading, you know, based on how people behave on social media versus how they really how they are in real life, you know, and not to get too serious here, because this shouldn't be a serious conversation, I don't think. But a lot of the people who and this the book touches on this, I think, you know, throughout, obviously, in a sarcastic way, but a lot of people who have this certain persona, you know, this like, <laughs> 
feel good thought leader person who puts people first and is like this professional. I'm in the business world that, you know, we sell ad space, deal with tons of people from the leading tech companies and a lot of other personalities. And I'll tell you, you know, some of the interactions I've had with people, interpersonal interactions with some of the people who present themselves as these, you know, generous, loving, (laughs) caring leaders are nothing of the type. They're just like, you know, selfish, abrupt, unfriendly people who are only interested in like, what, what can you do for me? But I digress. Yeah, no. Okay. So, so yeah, let's not risk it going like too serious down that path (laughs) yet, yet. We we might come back to uh, airing of grievances in a moment. Um, So first, uh, for those of you who have just joined us recently, thanks for joining the conversation. We're talking about Ken's new book. I hope this email finds you never uh, an amazing uh, satirical look at life in the current modern workplace. Ken, I'd love for you to do a short reading for everybody here if you're up for it. Am I am I putting you on the spot or would you be up for like reading a couple of paragraphs from the book? Sure. Uh, any any in particular that you'd, you'd like to hear? Yes, I want to I want to start right near the beginning to give people a sense for the tone of this book. Mm-hmm. One of the first sections is on employee orientation, also known as the descent into the business. Would you mind just reading us the first page of that to give people a sense for what to expect? Sure. So this is uh, the employee orientation, otherwise known as the descent. You can decide where you're descending into. That's leaving that open-ended. So starting a new job can be overwhelming. There are people to meet, information to digest, and lots of preparation required to counter the lies you told on your resume. Whether you're an experienced employee or new to the workforce, you can be sure that at some point in your first few days, you'll start to wonder whether you've made a great mistake. The good news is that your employer has invested time and resources into a comprehensive indoctrination process known as new hire orientation. It's during this process when you'll be introduced to your coworkers, sign paperwork allowing the company to compensate the bare minimum possible, and get an early glimpse at whichever flavor of dysfunction plagues your workplace. Uh, so I laughed four or five times during that uh, sort of first you know, couple of paragraphs. Uh, but my my favorite was the, you know, the last point on which flavor of dysfunction plagues this workplace or your workplace. And I thought that was actually like, I, I laughed really hard at that one because, again, it made me like reflect on, you know, I've been around a while here, Ken. I've been in a number of different organizations and every company, right? Like every company with more than one employee and even those, some of those with one employee is dysfunctional. <laughs> Right. Like no matter how great they look from the outside or even from the inside, if you're wearing rose colored glasses, every company has dysfunction in like so many different ways. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I I say that as somebody who owns a company. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's the here's the thing. Right. So there's so many forms of dysfunction. In business, right? Like there's like within the teams, like so you know you're you're part of the sales team, and there's dysfunction within the sales team. There's dysfunction between how your team works and others. There's dysfunction between the employees and their leadership. There's dysfunction within the leadership group itself. There's dysfunction baked in almost intentionally with the board of directors. You know what I've what I've come to learn over the years of all these different forms of dysfunction that tend to happen in organizations is that you have to expect it. Hey, right? It's almost like this is the way that business is going to be. It's not bad. And like a lot of the biggest problems happen when we try to like ignore it or like shove it under the rug. 
or like worse, we try to convince ourselves it's not there. And we're like, oh, no, no, that's that's all good. Or I'm just going to avoid it. I'm like, not going to talk to those people over there because it's too dysfunctional, right? Like that's when the actual problems happen. I think we should just be more transparent and like, yep, there's a problem here. That's okay. Like, <laughs> oh, well, let me ask you, let me ask you a question, Tyler. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. Tell me, do you think that there is a direct correlation with a direct correlation between how much a company and its employees scream about how great their culture is on social media and how bad the culture actually is? Because I have a theory that the more that the more cult like and the more a company proclaims how wonderful it is to work for it the more deranged and demented the internal uh, <laughs> culture of, of the company actually is. Am I just being overly cynical here? Or do you think there's... Uh, yeah, if you, may if, very you well if you can't answer that, if you legally can't answer that, I understand. Oh, no, I can answer it. So I, th- so, <laughs> so I think there's three possible scenarios when you see a company with like glowing reviews and it's all five stars and there's like 8,000 positive comments, you know, in the last 60 days. So one possible situation is that it actually is an amazing place and everybody loves it so much that they want to go out of their way to promote it, right? That's 1% of the cases. (laughs) Uh, You know, scenario number two is the executive leadership team or the people or HR team are proactively getting employees to post positive reviews and say nice things about the company, right? Which is probably about 30% of the time. And so, you know, it's always hard to like figure out, is this look like, is this true or not? Right. And they're not reaching out to the employees who are pissed off and not happy. there. <laughs> they're reaching out to all the people who got bonuses last quarter to post about their experiences. The third is that to your point, it's a little cultish and it's actually like they keep hiring people that are just like them. And it's this mm-hmm. little group of people that all look and talk and feel the same. And there's never any challenges or issues. Um, that also has its own like, ugh, right? Jeez, Tyler, you're giving me you give me flashbacks to high school here. <laughs> PTSD. But there you go. It's clicks, you know, it's high school. Uh, but it could be any one of those things. You're right. Like it's like it could be cult. It could be nope. Leadership is just like incentivized to get positive reviews out there, or they could actually be really happy. And uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. A little bit of that, probably, right? <laughs> If anybody uh, listening has a, um, a story of dysfunction they would like to share, feel free to raise your hand or drop a message into the chat. Or, of course, if you have a question about maybe how to deal with some type of dysfunction in your organization or if the ones that you're feeling are normal. P.S. it is because there's <laughs> no shortage of it out there. You're not alone. Uh, please feel free to, to let us know, drop a note in or raise your hand. And if uh, if you're just joining us or have joined recently, uh, we're talking about I Hope This Email Finds You Never, which uh, is a new book that comes out tomorrow. And fair warning, this is a business book that will teach you absolutely nothing. Uh, it's purely a satire book that will probably, I, I hope, make you laugh. Tyler uh, said that it made him laugh. I don't have proof of that, actually. Uh, I'm just taking him at his word. But it is not a book that will teach you anything. So just fair warning. All right, I will prove it to all of you out there and yourself as well, Ken. I will, uh, uh, this was not a planned segue, but I'm going to read another chapter from later in part one, continuing on with your initial days at a new organization. And this is about meeting your coworkers for the first time. One of my favorite topics covered in the book is the coworker dynamics. 
which are started here and then really dove into in uh, part two. So here's one of uh, one of my favorite excerpts. There's nothing quite like meeting your coworkers for the first time. Or maybe there is. We actually don't really know. But in any case, whether you're whether they're done in person or remotely, introductions can be fun because you have a chance to present the best fake version of yourself that your coworkers will ever see. Too true. But it's important to be cautious when making introductions. If done correctly, a good first impression can help you build rapport and ingratiate you to your new coworkers. A bad first impression, however, can ruin a relationship right away before you get a chance to ruin it gradually over a long period of time. Oh, which is, you know, it's so funny again, reading this and you're like, oh, I can think of like so many awkward moments when meeting new coworkers where, you know, either you just like don't say too much because yeah, you don't want to kind of risk it going weird or in the wrong direction or the exact opposite, right? You just start like you're rambling on or you're asking weird questions and it just becomes this like, oh my goodness, I wish I could rewind that. Yeah, or like, or like you're, you're, you're talking and you're trying to get, you know, you should stop talking, but you're just, there's just something like psychological, there's like a psychological block that's preventing you from being able to shut your mouth. (laughs) You're saying, you know, ridiculous things just on and on. It's very difficult. Yeah. And it's the best when it's a coworker who like totally different department, you don't understand. Like I love, you know, as a marketer, like meeting um, uh, somebody on the developer team. Right. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. You never know, right. Who it's going to be. And sometimes you're just like, I don't even know what to say right now. (laughs) I don't feel like we have anything in common. What do I do? It's even, it's even worse though, with, uh, with like, you know, remote work now when everybody, you know, you're communicating in your zoom call and I've been working remotely since 2017 is when, um, I went off on my own, but, I remember uh, even before that I had worked remotely and what would happen is if, I don't know if this happens to you, uh, if, it, if it doesn't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel real, uh, real silly bringing this up. But I remember there would be times in the afternoon where, you know, other people would be in the office, but I would be working remotely and I kind of like wouldn't hear from anybody for a while. And like, there's not a lot of activity in the Slack channel. And I immediately start to think like, What's going on? Like, are they talking about me? Like, am, am I getting fired? You know, you see your mind starts to kind of ru- run away with itself in this era of remote work. So all the weird interpersonal nuances and all the awkwardness that we used to have uh, is replaced by new awkwardness that's done in isolation, which is uh, probably even more nerve wracking, you know? It's almost the uh, the awkwardness of, No engagement is replacing the awkwardness of the engagement in the first place. Like, is there a nice balance we can find? Yeah, it's terrible. Like, you don't like the office because the office has too much tension sometimes. But then you can have just as much tension sitting alone looking at a screen, right? Especially if, like, there's something strange that goes on in, you know, in a Slack channel or in a conversation, like some little tiff, some like passive aggressive tiff between between your two coworkers that like happens in front of you on the screen and like nobody's saying anything and like you know you like really what you really want to do is like laugh react to one of the comments but you can't because then you're going to make a new enemy it's tough the, the modern workplace is tough isn't it yeah it, it is right it's really interesting we've been you know, we've been working through this like a lot of companies have over the last few years. We went from uh, at Vidyard, we went from a fully in-person, like tight-knit culture 
beautiful office space, really tightly aligned to that, to, of course, being fully remote. And, you know, since we've had the opportunity to go back, uh, we have embraced a quote unquote hybrid approach. But the reality is people are free to work where they want to work from. And so most people, the vast majority are working from home because they got their office set up at home and all the, all the things we know, right? All the productivity boosts, all of those things, but they're welcome to be in the office. We've started to like figure out how can we create some moments of like connection for those who actually do want it saying like, Hey, like every Thursday for us, like the marketing team, that's like the one day when people are going into the office, they tend to go so that we know, Hey, if I'm in, I know there's going to be a few other people and it's not going to be even more awkward of me going in and I'm the only one. And you're like, why the, why the hell did I come in? <laughs> yeah, but it's hard, right? Like we're still figuring that out because, you know, and we, we, we have, yeah, people that just, you know, they, they can't quite figure out that nuance. And a lot of people we've hired are remote by nature because we could. And all those dynamics are like still playing out. It's interesting. I don't know if you've, if you've seen anything or if you've heard any stories of like ways people are mitigating that well. I will say that, you know, the remote work thing, and again, I'm a big proponent of remote work. I've been working remotely since uh, myself, since 2017, but I'm also a company owner. So, you know, there are pitfalls to... There are people who will take advantage, I guess, is the point that that I, that I want to make, uh, which is perfectly fine. You know, it's it's everybody's right to take advantage. But the one thing I do wonder is how many people are actually like... Like they say that they're working, but they're actually like traveling through Europe, like backpacking through Europe. They just never told anybody about it. And they're like yeah. not letting, they're making their Instagram like completely private. <laughs> you right. can't see their stories. I think there's uh, there's a lot a lot of it that's happening, you know, with, with the remote work. So, but I'm not against it. Like I said, I think remote work's great. I think commutes are brutal. I think they're a waste of time. I think there's nothing worse than getting up in the morning and getting on a train and just like you look at people's faces. Have you ever noticed that? Like you look at people's faces in the morning on the train. It's like, they're so sad. Everybody's just like, there is not a smile to be seen in the morning. Uh, so, I mean, what does that tell you? You know, it's not exactly a good thing, is it? So I think if companies don't, companies aren't going to keep employees if they if they don't allow remote work moving forward. I mean, we'll see what happens if we go in a recession, but still, I mean, there's no yeah. way, right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully with you on that. I think the, the benefits uh, greatly outweigh the risks. And I, I think this is actually, you know, a big part of the conversation around when people are working remote, how do you get comfortable with they're putting in the effort they should be or they're putting in the work or they're delivering the, the contributions they can be. And, you know, lots of talk around, well, it's about the outputs, not the inputs. And so if they can, as long as they're hitting their goals and they're delivering as expected, you know, whether they're working three hours or 12 hours at the end of the day, it's about, are they producing the output? I still struggle like crazy with that because it's so hard to know, like, what should somebody be doing on a given day or a week, right? Like, it's always hard to know, like, what are those measures in terms of the the output? But I, I really think that it just comes back down to like the the trust, the, you know, engagement that you have with your employees and people are going to put in they're going to put in an amount relative to what they feel is appropriate that they're going to get back out on the other side, right? Like people that genuinely feel like, Hey, this is cool. Like I'm part of a team that I actually like, like my boss isn't a jerk and my coworkers are fun and we have some great social activities, but they let me stow away as an introvert when I want to, <laughs> you know, I think, I think once you feel like that and you're like, 
willing to put in my time, right? I might be actually traveling through Europe, but I don't <laughs> mind firing up the computer and doing some work because I kind of believe in what I'm doing and I'm not the disgruntled employee. And so like the more we just focused on like making everybody feel a good sense of belonging, a good sense of appreciation, and that they're like actually part of a team of people who kind of care about the same things, then you worry a lot less about is this person actually working. Tyler, are you on a train uh, traveling through France right as we speak? You got to be honest right now. Uh, I'm actually on a tour bus. <laughs> uh, on my... <laughs> Tyler, I'm going to read some quick excerpt from the book on the benefits and the negative effects of remote work. So here are some of the benefits of remote work. Increased financial savings, a more flexible schedule, opportunity to simultaneously work another full-time job, more opportunities to spy on your neighbors, flexibility to ignore supervisors' repeated messages and video calls. Tyler, you appreciate that one, I'm sure. More time to develop a dark and mysterious alter ego. Can eat a plastic container full of melted cheese for lunch without fear of judgment. That one's important. Here are the negative effects of remote work. Working too many hours, decreased productivity, increased consumption of literally everything, more opportunities for neighbors to spy on you, I think I have that as I live in an apartment in the city. Increased risk of accidentally locking self in bathroom. No valid excuse when spouse wants to spend more time together. Reduction in volume of oxygen left over for roommates. That one is obviously dangerous as well. <laughs> oh, I'm victim to so many of those. My neighbor is literally looking. Uh, nope, it just turned. It was an awesome <laughs> moment. You were spying on each other at the same time. That was so good. <laughs> There really is like all this remote work is like such a great opportunity for like a Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcockian, uh, you know, s scenarios to take place in various neighborhoods. You know, everybody's home now. It's not like the retirees or the people who like injured their their leg anymore and can't walk. Like everybody's at home, like windows drawn, like look, you know, looking on the middle of the shade uh, in the middle of the day, like through the shades of their neighbors. Uh, I also wonder if there's like increased problems between neighbors now now that like your home and like your routine is like conflicting with other people's routines i wonder if that's uh you know these great like sociological shifts taking place as a result of remote work but who knows i, I have little doubt and you know there's also that nuance the yeah i think the you know the hard thing for a lot of folks there's you know young young people entering the workforce who may still be living at home right and they're like they're they're with their parents and now they're working at home which, you know, at first seems like a great idea, but it doesn't take long for that to go into full dysfunction mode. And then, you know, you've got folks who have roommates, right? And now both roommates are working at home, both are working both at home, and it does create these very different dynamics. Um, and, and in sociological change that is going to be happening over the next little while um, as a result of it. Um, but I think it's generally going to be positive. So, like, you're saying, like, a, a kid just out of college is uh, is going to get in a fist fight with his father over who gets to use the office in the <laughs> afternoon for, for, for a Zoom call? Well, Skype, Skype call and, and, or a Microsoft Teams call in the father's case, probably, right? <laughs> Sounds like uh, you're talking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. Thankfully, so, thankfully, I live alone, but there is uh, a chapter in the book, chapter 21, and I hope the female fudge you never, the chapter's called When Pets Become Coworkers and Refuse yes. to Follow the Rules. That can be, I don't have any pets, but what do you do if like, yeah, you know, you have this dog that you love and you have your boss who like, 
you know, like you ha- you need to work and like to make your boss happy so that you get paid. But like your dog's just giving you the sad eyes because he wants to play. <laughs> I don't know if I could handle that kind of like you know emotional uh, conflict. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it. You know what? My favorite part of that chapter was the power rankings for at-home uh, pets as co-workers, right? So for those of you uh, listening, if you do pick up Ken's book, you will get to see those full power rankings for which pets are the best to have as co-workers. What are their pros and cons? Whether it be a dog, a cat, right down to the hamsters and guinea pigs. Um, I thought you nailed it, by the way, in that chart. As the proud owner of a dog, uh, guinea pigs, a turtle, and four children who... Some of them I consider pets. Um, the dog was number one because the opportunities for, oh, he's so cute. Oh, and then they, you know, the small talk. Oh, do you have a dog? Da, 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 da. I think I got promoted to VP marketing because my previous boss had a dog. And basically, we just talked about dogs. So totally can work that's, to your advantage. That's very diabolical, Tyler. Now I'm wondering if I should, <laughs> if I should get a golden retriever so I can sell more ad space. except to borrow my neighbors hey in the uh in the section on remote work something we all have a lot of fun with is video calls and you talk about like do's and don'ts of video calls i think that might be in chapter 20 would you mind maybe like skimming over to uh to that chapter and um sharing with folks the things not to do on a video call because i read that yeah. I was like, man, some of the people that I have calls with, they're still doing this. People need to learn. Can you uh, serenade us with your Absolutely. not to-do list? So for anybody just joining us, this is from uh, I Hope This Email Finds You Never, which is a book that uh, comes out tomorrow morning. Well, I don't know if it's the morning, but it comes out tomorrow <laughs> at some point. All right. Uh, and this is from chapter 20. And this is these are things you should never do on a video call. So in some cases, your video calls might actually be recorded. For this reason, and many others, here are some things you should never do on a video call. Never take an important video call on your mobile device. Never walk or drive around while in a video video meeting. Never live stream your meeting to the dark web. Never badmouth a co-worker in a recorded video meeting. Never ignore a meeting invite unless you have something way better to do that day. Never assume that what you say isn't being recorded, remixed into a dance song, and getting millions of monthly views on YouTube. Tyler, I wonder if somebody's going to do this to this uh, to this recording because this is being recorded too, right? Oh yeah, guaranteed. I'm like now I'm yeah. just like hoping I didn't say anything problematic throughout this entire interview. You know, <laughs> wake up tomorrow morning and find out my book's been canceled, <laughs> pulled from the shelves. I mean, I'm just yeah, I'm looking forward to the to the hip hop remake of. Uh, of me talking about getting promoted because I had a dog, right? Like that's just great fodder right there. It's a, it's a good point. Like so much of this stuff is recorded. I mean, thankfully by default, most internal meetings are not recorded, but it's funny. You and I live in the world of, of, of sales folks. And that's, that's one of the things when I ask salespeople, like, what is one of your Halloween's coming up? Tell me what would be like a horror story for you as a salesperson, something that like scares the heck out of you that could happen to you in sales. And I remember somebody saying immediately, they were like, I'm on a call with a customer, a Zoom call, and it's being recorded. And I forget that it's being recorded. And, you know, before or after the call, I say bad things about them. And guess what? Afterwards, somebody shares the recording with everybody, right? So now they go, (laughs) 
<laughs> and listen to the re- watch the recording and it starts with the when are these freaking jerks going to join the call? I can't believe that. <laughs> and you're like, it's happened. Guaranteed it's happened to many people. <laughs> Awful. Yeah, you got to be you got to be extra careful these days. So if uh, if if it's OK, Tyler, there's another section I can read here uh, that also has to do with this with remote work. And this is from the video call etiquette section. And this is how to make it look like you've been working all day. So if you spend your entire day just like on Twitter or like reading the news or shopping, uh, these are some some things you can do. So you can stack a handful of work-related nonfiction books directly behind you. Make sure you're holding a pen. I personally use that technique. Mess up your hair so it looks like you've been too busy for self-care. Occasionally rub your temples in a clockwise circular motion. Set your alarm to go off every few minutes so it looks like you have a packed schedule. That that's always a good one. Constantly check your watch while occasionally shaking your head. Oh, sorry, last one. <laughs> this is a good one. Place a full meal on your desk so that it looks like you haven't had time to eat. <laughs> even better, even better, get a plastic meal and keep it nearby so you can uh, you can put it out anytime. Oh, that's like a five dollar purchase on Amazon, folks. A little plastic fake meal you can leave just just slightly within camera view. And uh, if you're really good, though, you know, you'll add like a little bit of mold to it every couple of days to, you know, really, really sell the bit. <laughs> so the book for anybody tuning in um, also has has graphics. Uh, we know that, you know, people tend to not to like reading these days. So we wanted to uh, uh, to appeal to all markets. Uh, so the book has different graphics. Here's one that I personally like. It's uh, Coworker Bingo. It's actually technically non accurate because bingo is four. Is four? Am I right about this, Tyler? It's four squares across and four squares down. But it for would some be, reason, it would be five. It would be the letters B I N. Oh right, sorry. Oh, geez, yep, yes. there you go. <laughs> this shows it shows my level of competency. So it's yeah, it's not a full bingo because it's only three across and three down. But here are the squares. So this is coworker bingo. So this is like see if you can hit bingo with like one of your coworkers. Suspicious backstory. Close talker, way too happy in the morning. That's a bad one. Always ask you to spot the money. Annoying laugh. I might, I might have that. Conspiracy theorist, goes to lunch and never comes back. Owner spoiled nephew, constantly on phone with door closed. <laughs> you got any of those multiples? You can hit the coworker bingo. Uh, and now we uh, we need the. The, the virtual version of that as well. For those working remote, make sure that uh, you're going to get some of those, but there's a special card for you uh, for the you know individual who shows up three minutes late to every Zoom call. Guilty as charged. Oh, the worst, Tyler, the worst is when you have a Zoom call scheduled and you forget about it like after you get the notification, <laughs> you know, the five minutes after the notification, but before the Zoom call starts. That's the absolute worst. That's so embarrassing. And especially if you're like, try, you know, if you're in sales and you're, you know, it's, <laughs> you're like, how do you even come back from that? You know, I actually have, this is uh, no word of a lie. I have a, a saved little library of gifts that I use for different moments within the workplace that could be awkward or where you're just not quite sure how to like, you know, if you say something, it might feel like an attack on somebody. So, for example, in those situations, I actually have like two or three different gifts that are my go-tos 
that when somebody's like more than three minutes late, instead of slacking them saying, hey, you're going to join our call, because of course that can come off sounding very passive aggressive, I will just send one of those gifts, right? And then they see the gift and they're like, oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, they have a little bit of a chuckle and they're like, oh, yes, sorry, I'm late for that. I'll hop on in. And it works like a charm, Ken. People love their gifts. I mean, you know this, gifts, memes, like they are actually great ways to say a lot in very small amount of real estate. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it, it's a great way to avoid communicating directly like a human being, right, Tyler? That's right. Absolutely. It's <laughs> so, okay. so much better. I have a question for you then. And this is uh, not doesn't necessarily pertain to the book, but I'm curious about your opinion. Okay. So there are people who really, who believe that in the workplace, you shouldn't be too overly effusive in your communication. You know, don't use exclamation points. Don't say please or thank you too much. You know, kind of like the curt approach. Um, and I've seen that with a lot of people who are especially ambitious and they want to, you know, uh, they really want to become successful and they kind of think that they need to leave their polite self behind and kind of go that direction. How do you feel about that? Do you think that you need to be curt to be successful? Or do you think that it's uh, you catch more flies with honey than you do with, what is it, vinegar? What's I don't know the expression now. See, now I sound like an idiot. <laughs> is it Bingo. Vinegar? It's vinegar, right? Bingo! Okay. All right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey man, this is a this is a great question, and I am not sure I'm the best one to answer it because I I'm in the camp of five exclamation marks when I'm excited about something. Um, I'm like I abuse emojis in work conversations, and I personally feel like when we are relegated to digital communication, I personally will craft my message in a way where I want it to be read and felt the way I would have delivered it voice and my body language. And so I am very much, and people actually like sometimes shun me for this. They're like, Tyler, enough with the fucking exclamation marks guy. Like, it's like <laughs> that was like 10 on that one. And I'm like, well, that's how I would have said it. You and I were in person. And I think it's important for you to read it in a way that, you know, makes you as excited about it as I am, right? But a lot of people, like, they love it. They're like, oh, I love your enthusiasm. And like, that was the perfect emoji. It said more than, you know, than, than it needed to. It's perfect. That said, there's a time and place for all of these things, right? And, you know, knowing your audience is really, really important with anything in business when you're communicating. And it's something like, unfortunately, you just kind of have to learn and feel out as you go. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of respecting your audience. So I know there are certain people who just have no time for my emojis for my five exclamation <laughs> marks or my superlatives, right? They're like, enough with the, you know, adjectives, Tyler. And so for them, nice curt message because I know they want to read it and they want to move on. There's other people who I know I have a much more, uh, you know, fun relationship with. And, you know, I'm kind of more of my more natural self when I take it out. So I think that's what I would encourage people to be mindful of is be you and like being more curt is appropriate, that's fine. Go for it. If you feel like having more fun and adding things and emojis, lean into it. But also every once in a while, like just be mindful of your audience and think about who you're communicating with. And not everybody wants to be communicated with in the same way. By the way, it can go to, I agree with you hundred percent. So I'm big proponent of being, being enthusiastic and messages being extremely polite. I think it's important, but I wonder if it can go too far the other way too, because what I've noticed and totally get it if you can't back me up on this here is that especially younger people that are like really new to the workplace, 
not not all young people, but there is a certain kind of type where they're way too informal in their conversations. And yeah. so I actually, uh, and let me ask you about the thumbs up, okay? Because I, I might be completely alone here in this opinion, but I feel like the thumbs up response, like in Slack, is a pretty condescending response. Like it's not, mm. and I don't, you know, maybe the person doesn't necessarily mean it, but like the thumbs up to me is like, it's dismissive and it's kind of like, right. okay, stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll do what you want. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on the thumbs up? Am I, am I uh, reading too much into it? <laughs> so I do like responses as acknowledgements. Totally. That's kind of, it's kind of like a read receipt, right? It's like, okay, so somebody asked something or they made a comment and using it as an intentional acknowledgement. I actually much prefer that over somebody typing like, Thanks, I got it, right? Uh, right. Totally. So, it's, so I love that. I think you're right. Like the thumbs up is almost like a lazy uh, yeah. approach to it. And so there, I think there is a fun little nuance of like, what are you using? Fun <laughs> fact, Ken, if you follow me on LinkedIn, uh, a couple of days ago, I actually shared on LinkedIn um, a snapshot of my most frequently used emojis in Slack. I encourage all of you to do it. Be transparent with the world. If you use <laughs> Slack, you can like hit the little emoji button and it'll pop up and it'll say frequently used. Snapshot that, share it with the world, let people know who you really are. <laughs> and in mine, I was very proud to say that like my my most frequently used is actually party Keanu Reeves, which is like Keanu Reeves doing the party parrot. And you know, <laughs> that has kind of become my default acknowledgement right over the thumbs up. I also use Shia LaBeouf clapping, one of my other all-time favorites from the uh, Shia LaBeouf cannibal video. And uh, again, like, again, if I want to like somebody says something and I'm like, I want to show my appreciation, they're getting the Shia LaBeouf clapping because it says so much more than just the default two hand clap um, emoji. If you want to up your emoji game, go to, I think it's slackmojis.com. Is that the site that has them? Yeah, slackmojis.com. It has like a massive library of emojis you can put right into your Slack. Or use them in emails. I don't care. And they're, they're great. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, right? Like, yeah, there's there's that one. Like, there's Among Us reactions. There's whatever you want. So that's my tip for people today. Use slackmojis.com to find emojis that really represent what you want to say and don't make it look like you're just folding it in with another thumbs up. Is, isn't it, you know, the world we live in, it's like a new emoji. When a new smiley emoji gets added to uh, to, to an iPhone, it's like, it's a really exciting event. And then you're just like, <laughs> you just use that emoji like nonstop for the first like four weeks that it's out. Remember like the the hypnotized eyes emoji? I was like, I was sending like hundreds of those for, for, for the first few weeks it was out. Something new. Yes. Very exciting. But we are, Tyler, I think running out of time. So I did have one burning question I had on my list that I want to make sure I ask you before you go. Okay. Uh-oh. Okay, it's in the, it's in the book. And there is a chapter, the, the final section is on departing, right? So mm-hmm. once you've submitted your resignation or more likely you've been let go, what can you legally take with you on your last day? Oh, okay. Well, let me, let me see this. Uh, and good news for all of you in the book. Ken actually not only has a great list, but he's provided an illustration of what your box should look like as you are vacating the premises, likely with security on your arms but all of the things you can legally take with you. So probably the most important part of the book. Yeah. So uh, here is what, uh, what you can take with you uh, when you're leaving a job that is 
personal belongings that you brought from home, swag or other items the company has provided you, items belonging to the company that you think you can steal without getting caught, <laughs> anger, self-pity, contempt, trade secrets, and as many ketchup packets as you can fit in your bag. <laughs> Oh, that just says it all right there. I mean, that almost encourages me to want to find a new job uh, every couple months, actually, just for those parting gifts that um, we can take with us, right? It's almost worth it. Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, since we're, since most people are uh, doing remote work now, you know, there's really, can't really take anything with you all except for the the emotions, the contempt, and the despair. That's really all you can take these days. <laughs> They'll shut your slack off uh, within like, you know, 30 seconds of your uh, your one-on-one with the hiring manager, uh, meet with your uh, human resources manager meeting, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, and depending on how that goes, just remember, folks, uh, today's sponsor is Glassdoor. Don't forget to head on over to Glassdoor and let your company know how you really feel about them. Glassdoor.com. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> All right, guys. So I think uh, I think we are going to wrap this up. Please, uh, if you're listening, uh, please pick up a copy of the book. Hopefully, this uh, this entire uh, interview didn't completely turn you off. From I wonder if there are people here who were like gonna buy the book, Tyler, and then like listen to this thing and were like, no way, like not happening. <laughs> but anyways, even if you feel that way, just buy one. You can burn it in your backyard. Like uh, it comes out on Amazon tomorrow. It's called "I Hope This Email Finds You Never." Uh, the official guide to blissfully surviving the modern workplace. Hope you'll pick up a copy. It's going to be available on, it, it is available for pre-order right now on Amazon. There'll be a link uh, available on this program uh, after we hang up and it'll be in Barnes and Noble, uh, most major bookstores and potentially some indie stores. And uh, if you'd like, connect with me on LinkedIn, connect with Tyler. He is a much more famous personality uh in the in the business space than i am but connect with me and uh we can uh not talk uh or talk if you'd like (laughs) huge thanks ken for joining us here today uh you know uh, to to wrap up on my side i said when i started uh this is the funniest book i've read in a long time it's a really great light read encourage all of you to check it out check the link and uh kudos my friend you uh, put out not what the world needed but what the world deserves (laughs) Thanks, Tyler. I think that sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. We can uh, uh, head out from here. And uh, again, big, uh, big thanks and congrats on the new book, Ken. Thanks a ton, Tyler. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon.